Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And we've been in a study over the last several weeks that we've been calling More Than Enough. And we're talking about how Jesus is more than enough. And uh, so often in life, we're looking for more of something, more time, more money, more relationships, more friendships, more opportunities. But really, we understand through this book of the Bible that Jesus is all we need. Do you believe that today? That Jesus is enough. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. And we'll start reading in verse number 14. We'll cover verses 11 through 23 today. But for sake of time for the scripture reading, let's look at verse number 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head. Now, the head is Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. Not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment. Everybody say nourishment. Ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. For a few minutes today, I want to speak to this subject. Pencils down. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, pencils down. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church in this season. Lord, thank you for the 830 service and for the one that prayed to accept you today. Uh, we just want to praise you and thank you for that. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes here at the 10 o'clock service, Lord, that you would... Uh, meet with us in a special way, in a powerful way. God, we recognize and acknowledge that your word has the power to transform us from the inside. Look to your word today that we would be encouraged, that we would be inspired and challenged. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. God, I pray that I would not say something that you don't want me to say and that I would say everything that you do want me to say. And Lord, I pray that we can uh, leave this place a little bit different because of your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... How many of you get nervous taking tests? Anybody like that? You get nervous taking tests? I recently read some great answers that uh, children gave on some tests that they had taken recently. And I brought some pictures this morning to show these answers from children. Uh, what ended in 1896? 1895. That's a, that's a pretty solid answer, right? Uh, go to the next one. What is the strongest force on earth? Love. Something tells me that's not what the teacher was looking for, but a, a good answer nonetheless. How many of you would say that's a pretty good answer, right? This next one, briefly explain what hard water is. Ice, all right? Again, not, not a bad answer, right? My favorite one's the last one. Where was the Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom, all right? And uh, that's exactly where it was signed, right? 
And uh, sometimes when it comes to uh, tests, we can get nervous or be filled with anxiety. And uh, there typically comes that moment, though, when a teacher or an instructor uh, will come to the end of the time allotted to take the test, and they will say something like, all right, time's up, pencils down. Uh, no more working, no more writing, time is up. I saw a commercial several years ago that always... I always thought it was humorous. It was of this classroom filled with college students and about 100 college students taking this exam. And the, the professor said, all right, time's up, pencil's down. Everybody turn your paper in. So everybody goes and they turn their paper in at the front, but there's one guy kind of in the back and he just keeps on working on his paper and he keeps on writing things down. And uh, he looks up, realizes everybody's gone. So he walks up to the front to turn his paper in and the professor says, I'm sorry, it's too late. You can't turn in your paper. And the student said, excuse me, do you know who I am? And he said, no, I have no idea who you are. And he said, good. And he took his paper and he put it right in the middle of the stack of all the papers. And he walked out of the room, have a nice day, right? Brilliant move. And uh, there's, that, there's that time when uh, the instructor says, pencils down, time is up. In my Bible, in Colossians chapter 2, above this section of, section of scripture that we're going to study today, I wrote those words, pencils down. Because Paul was writing to a group of people that were getting caught up in religious activity. They were caught up in the song and dance of religion. And they were busy working, many of them, for their salvation. Some of them were working to try to earn some sort of status and favor with God. And so Paul's message was abundantly clear to this group of people that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, what that meant was pencils down for all of humanity. Hey, you can stop trying to work for your salvation. You can stop trying to achieve your salvation. You can stop trying to earn earn favor or status with God. He already loves you. Favor or status with God. And the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not about trying harder. The good news of the gospel is about trusting pencils down. Aren't you thankful for that reality? Salvation, but that it is a free gift. It's all about the grace and the goodness of God that is bestowed upon us. And so Paul was writing this letter and he says, pencils down. Uh, no more working, trying to earn some sort of favor or status with God. Now, uh, this is good news. Would you agree with that today? Would anybody else agree with that today, that we don't have to earn our salvation? This is the good news of the gospel. This is good news in a world that is suffocating today with bad news. Have you noticed that? Uh, everywhere that we look, there's bad news. I read uh, this week that in 2021, just last year, Dartmouth College did a study. It was a bipartisan study that said all of the media that we consume, out of all the media that we consume, 87% is negative by nature. So think about that for a second. Anytime that you turn on the news and you watch CNN, you watch Fox News, anytime you listen to a podcast, anytime you watch a video on TikTok, there's almost a 90% chance that you will be discouraged. And it's very hard in life to have a positive outlook when you have a negative intake because the content that you consume will eventually be the content that you create. And so we're living in a world that's filled with bad news, and Paul is going to give some good news uh, to us today. Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs 25, verse 25, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And so here in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to see some good news, the good news of the gospel. I believe that this news, when you truly understand it, when you truly understand this concept, this doctrine, this truth of pencils down, when you understand this, I believe it will change your life. It will change the way that you live. Because so many people today, please hear me, they get caught up in a performance-based religion. 
When the only thing that matters is behavior modification, the only thing that matters is external conformity, the only thing that matters is do this and don't do this, and you better do this, and when what you do is more important than who you are. This is a performance-based religion, and Jesus sets us free from all of that. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't seek to uh, please Jesus with our lives. It doesn't mean that we adopt some sort of antinomian mindset where we can do whatever it is that we want, just kind of, hey, we're all under uh, grace, so let's just do whatever we want. But it means that God's grace motivates us to love and to serve him, not out of obligation, but because we get to, because it's our reasonable service. Ephesians puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. It says this, for by grace... Are you saved? Grace is undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. God's grace is given to us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Pencils down. Stop trying to work for your salvation. Stop trying to earn your salvation or achieve your salvation, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, be really proud of what we have to do. Uh, for we are his workmanship, we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so, no, we do not try to earn uh, our salvation or earn God's love. He already loves you, and because he loves you so much, in response, we just can't help but serve him because it's what Romans 12 says. It's our reasonable service, uh, not a have to, it's a get to. And so today what I want to do is I want to look to Colossians chapter 2, this text of scripture, verses 11 through 23, and I want to just give us three encouraging promises this morning. Can anybody use some encouraging promises today? I want to give us three encouraging promises. Number one is this. You've been given a clean slate. You've been given a clean slate. There's something nice and refreshing about a fresh start in life. When you get a do-over, when you get to start again, uh, there's something refreshing about that. And Paul is going to tell the church at Colossae, and by extension us this morning, that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given a clean slate. Now, before we dive into the verses, uh, I need to make one clarification this morning in distinction. And that is that at Rock Hill, we love to teach the Bible verse by verse. And uh, we don't want to skip over verses. We don't want to just pick and choose what we think is relevant, what we think applies to our lives. The Bible says that we have a responsibility to declare the whole counsel of God. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so if all scripture is given by inspiration of God, we might as well look to all of it, okay? And so when you preach sequentially, expositionally, verse by verse, that means at times there's going to come some sections that elsewhere you might skip over. And today we're gonna to read a few verses, and when I read them, you're probably gonna think at first, what in the world are we talking about this morning, okay? But just bear with me, uh, because I believe there's much truth to unpack here. All right, are you ready this morning? Yes, verse number 11, let's start with verse number 11. The Bible says this. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Everybody doing okay so far? <laughs> All right, now this is something odd to us. This is something foreign to us, but it actually would have been very familiar in the first century to the audience to which Paul was writing. Circumcision was this institution that God established all the way back in Genesis chapter 17 to set apart his covenant people. When you fast forward to the New Testament, this symbol, this act was no longer necessary because now we are identified with Christ and he takes care of our sinful nature. And so this was something that was no longer necessary. It was an act from the Old Testament. It was a symbol that no longer was required. Notice verse number 12. He's going to give another example. He says, buried with him in baptism 
wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. By the way, can we just pause and be thankful and celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he is alive and well today? That's what baptism is a picture of. And I love ba baptism is a picture of. Baptisms at Rock Hill. How many of you, how many of you have been baptized at Rock Hill? Anybody like that? Rock Hill. At Rock Hill, I think we have a picture on the screen. Baptism is always an outward expression of an inward decision. This is what Paul is saying. When we baptize someone, we say buried in likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. This is a picture. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But what Paul is saying in verse 11 and 12 is that neither this, this act or this sign of circumcision or baptism, neither one of these things have any redemptive or saving value. Uh, baptism is not something that saves you. The thief on the cross, Jesus said, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. He did not have time to get baptized, and yet he was still with Jesus in heaven. And so these things are not something that we do to earn salvation. Paul's making that clear. Let's keep reading verse 13. He says this, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, your flesh, your sin nature still attached to you apart from Christ. He says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened. That's an old English word for made alive. He's made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Aren't you thankful for that? That, that he's forgiven us of all trespass. This is, this is good news today. Uh, again, there's a lot of good news in this passage that we're gonna unpack. I, I love the distinction that he makes here. He says, apart from Christ, before Christ, you were dead in sins. You weren't just sick. You weren't simply sick. Sick people need a doctor. Dead people need a savior. He says, you were dead in your sins, but praise the Lord, thank God, he made you alive. He brought you back to new life. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He is offering you the forgiveness of sins. All very good news. Do you want some more good news? Verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Danny, you can jump up here. Uh, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, this is a beautiful illustration of the grace and the mercy of God. Paul talks in verse number 14 about the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. This was a damning document that was contrary to us. This was a document that contained all the charges against us, every sin that you've ever committed on this document. So every uh, act of pride, every thought of lust, every little bit of greed in your heart, every envy, any act of immorality, any act of adultery, uh, any act of selfishness, uh, 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 idolatry, any of these things is on this handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Now, this doesn't make us feel very good this document that's against us, because the only appropriate response we have to this document, if we're being honest today, is guilty. We can't justify our sin in our own doing. We can't just kind of explain it away and say, well, I do pretty good most of the time. No, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So when we look at this handwriting of ordinances that was against us, guilty as charged. In the first century, when a scribe would write, there was two options. You would have papyrus or you would have vellum, which was essentially animal skin. 
and these, both of these items were very expensive, and you didn't want to waste it. And so what a scribe would do is if he was writing and wanted to preserve uh, the vellum, he would uh, blot out he, he would take a wet sponge and he would, he would cleanse it out. This is the word at the beginning of verse number 14, blotted out. It's the Greek word exalifo. It means to obliterate or to wash away. And so what Jesus is saying is you have this damning document, this handwriting of ordinances that was against us. But when Jesus Christ spilled his blood on the cross, he took that document and ex alifo, he wiped it clean, he washed our sin, made it white as snow, he took our sins and he removed them as far as the east is from the west. What sins are you talking about? We are justified, we are declared righteous before a holy God. I don't know what your past looks like, I don't know what you're ashamed of today, I don't know what you're embarrassed about, but I do know this, his mercies are new every single morning. This is the good news of the gospel today. You've been given a clean slate. He's washed your sins white as snow. Thank you, Daniel. This is what verse number 14 is talking about, uh, that he has taken our sins. He's blotted them out. He's washed us white as snow. He took that document, and then he nailed it to the cross as if to say, you're never coming back again. And so Paul is explaining to these people in Colossae the good news of the gospel, and it's all good news. But it gets even better. You want to know some more good news today? Let's keep reading. Notice verse number 14. Verse 15. It says this in verse 15. And, everybody say and. and. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What Paul's talking about here is what's called a Roman triumph. And in Roman society, when a Roman general would come back from war, there would be a celebration. There would be a parade in the streets where the, the, the Roman general would lead the way and all the soldiers would, would accompany him and uh, they would parade the streets. It's much like uh, if your favorite sports team wins uh, the Super Bowl or the World Series or a championship, they're going to have a celebration parade. I remember when I was little, I really wanted to go to a Lakers uh, parade when they won the championship. I never was able to go, uh, but maybe one day I'll be able to fulfill that dream. But, but what here Paul is talking about is something very familiar in the first century, a Roman triumph. And he's saying, Jesus is demonstrating the greatest triumph, the greatest victory that the world has ever seen. Are you tracking with me this morning? Jesus is our triumphant general. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as Jesus walks in victory, the good news today is we walk with him. Just like those soldiers walk with Jesus, we walk with him in victory as well. And so today, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, victory is not something that you want. Victory is who you are. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying, man, uh, Christ has taken away our sins. He's nailed them to the cross. And now we get to walk with him in celebratory victory for the work that he has done. He has given you a clean slate today. Good news. Here's a second encouraging promise today. The second encouraging promise is this. You are not hostage to the expectation of others. You are not hostage to the expectation of others. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 16. It says this, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. There was this group in Colossae that were advocating that all of these extra biblical things, all these traditions of men were something that 
were necessary for salvation. You need to make sure that you participate in these holy days and be careful about the foods you eat and the, and the drinks that you drink. And you have to do all of these things. And, and they were judging people. And so Paul says, let no man judge you based on these things that you are, that you are doing. It was kind of like people at Colossae were just kind of had a clipboard and they were just, the heretics were walking around. They were just thinking, man, man, Quentin, he, uh, he, he hasn't been participating in all the holy days. And I'm going to mark him down. I can't believe he's not doing that. And, and, uh, I can't believe Daylene, she didn't even celebrate the new moon get figures. You know, she didn't celebrate that. And, and, uh, they're just, they're just marking this. They're just watching them, waiting for them to mess up. I remember when we first started the church, we met at Wayne Rubel Middle School. In our launch Sunday, we were at this middle school. How many of you were there at Wayne Rubel Middle School? Okay, a handful of you. And uh, uh, when we met at the middle school, uh, we were working with the school district to make sure that we were following all the rules and regulations that they had set forth for us. And they set forth a lot of rules and regulations. There was a lot of things we could do, a lot of things that we couldn't do. And uh, it would not be uncommon for a Monday morning to come after Sunday. And we did get a call from the district. And they said, we noticed through our security cameras that you didn't use the bathroom that you were supposed to be using. You used the wrong one and you need to make sure that you use the right one. And, and uh, we noticed on the security cameras that someone was wearing high heels on our gym floor and you're not supposed to be doing that. And you know, we tried our best to keep those rules and regulations, but after a few uh, weeks of that, uh, we decided to take our pipe and drape, that kind of the curtains that wrapped in the auditorium and we just raised them a little bit higher and they, maybe they covered the security cameras. I'm not exactly sure, but we kind of just raised them a little bit and, uh, and then we just had church the way that God wanted to have church and kind of move forward. And uh, we were just kind of constantly under that microscope, that pressure that, that people were watching. And that's exactly what was happening in Colossae. These heretics were watching. Are you observing that? Are you doing this? Are you participating? Are you, are you carrying out all these rituals that you're supposed to be doing? And, and Paul was saying, listen, you are not hostage to the expectations of others. Please hear me. You live for the audience of one. His name is Jesus. Paul put it this way in Galatians 1, verse number 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So often we let the fear of what others will think dictate and determine our behavior. Because here's the reality. We all like affirmation. We all want some level of acceptance. I like it when you tell me good job, and I like it when you pat me on the back. The other day, I took uh, my, my oldest daughter, Liv, to a golf lesson, and uh, every time she would swing the ball standing over here, every time she would kind of look over at me, and every time she had a good hit, she would kind of look back at me, and she wanted to make sure that I was seeing her good hits and that I was approving of that. Hey, we all have that in us. How many likes did I get on my posts, and how many people shared this, and how many people tell me I do such a good job? And, and if we're not careful, we will start to value the opinions of others more than the opinion of God. And we're constantly looking for acceptance. But can I just tell you something? The Bible says that we are already accepted in the beloved. We are so often searching for and trying to find acceptance that we already have. And love and favor that, that God has already given us. Here's our problem. Here it is. John 12, 43. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So today, which audience are you living for? Why do you serve? Why do you do what you do? Is it just to please the people around you because they're watching and they're putting, uh, they're projecting expectations on you? Or are you doing what you do because you love Jesus and because you want to please the one that's called you to be a soldier? Paul gives another illustration in verse 18 of the same concept. Everybody doing okay this morning? Verse 18, he says this, let no man beguile you. Let nobody uh, deceive you or steal from you. Let nobody trip you up. Let no man beguile you of your reward. Now, 
I like this because Paul's using here a very clear athletic term. This was an athletic phrase. Uh, Paul was into sports. He talked about sports often. He talked about racing, boxing. And uh, here he uses an athletic term. He says, don't let anyone steal your reward. Don't let anyone take your crown or take your prize or call you out that has no business calling you out. And so he's using this athletic, athletic phrase. This past Wednesday, I was at my son's baseball practice. And they were practicing, and, and there was a kid that that got a hit and he was rounding first base and he went to second base and he went and he stood on second base and the second baseman had the ball and he tagged him while he was standing on second base and the second baseman said, you're out. And so the runner felt bad about that. He's like, all right, and he put his head down and he started walking back, back to the dugout. And the coach said, everybody freeze, time out. And he made a big scene about this. He went over to that runner and he said, you don't let anyone call you out unless it's the umpire. You don't let anyone say that you're safe. You don't let anyone say that you're out unless it's the umpire. Can I tell you today, never let anyone tell you that God can't use you. Never let someone tell you that God is done with you. Hey, there is only one lawgiver that is able to save and destroy. His name is Jesus. We live for the audience and the authority of one. And so we don't have to live hostage to the expectations of others. We live and submit to the word of God. Uh, in Jesus, in Jesus alone, ha has the authority over our lives. So Paul's saying, don't let someone uh, beguile you of the reward. Don't let someone call you out that has no business calling you out. Then he goes on in verse number 18, and he says, with a voluntary humility. This was essentially what Paul's talking about here is a false humility. And uh, so how many of you guys know what I'm talking about when I say uh, false humility? Like someone that just kind of puts on a pretense, they kind of put on a show, and they're, that they're feigning an act. He says, in worshiping of angels, this is what was happening. These heretics were feigning this false humility, and they were saying, you know what? We're not even worthy of worshiping the, the one true God, and so we're just going to worship his angels because we are not worthy. And they were leading them to this false doctrine, this false worship, all under the guise and the pretense of this false humility. But notice what Paul says. He calls it out, and he says this, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. He says, you're acting as though you are humble. At the root of it, the reality is you are filled with pride. By the way, at the root of all legalism is pride. Yeah. It's do this, don't do this, because I want to feel better about myself. And if you don't do this and I do this, then I'm better than you are. And so Paul is setting them free from the expectation of others. Now, this is going to lead us to our third and final thought. You ready for number three today? The third encouraging promise is this. You've been set free from a burdensome way of life. Now, this is so encouraging to me because I don't know about you, but sometimes life can be exhausting. Yeah. Sometimes life can be difficult, busy, our schedules fill up, and we're trying to do all the right things, but it's just exhausting at the end of the day. Well, Jesus sets us free from a burdensome way of life, and I want to show us how. Let's start in verse number 19. It says this, and not holding the head. Now, church, who is the head of the church? Jesus, okay? It's not a priest. It's not a prophet. It's not a pope. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment. Everybody say nourishment. nourishment. Nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. He says the body is not going to grow by laws, rules, or regulations. It grows by being nourished. The, the head, Christ, nourishes the body. Just think about your physical body. You cannot legislate growth. You can't just tell your body and command your body to change. Right? Wouldn't it be nice if I could just look at my stomach and say, you know what, stomach, by the power vested in me, give me a six-pack of abs. And wouldn't it be great if that could just happen? But that, that's not going to happen. I hate to break it to you. 
You can't command growth. You can't legislate growth. Spiritually, spiritual growth does not come by way of legislation. Spiritual growth comes by way of nourishment. Christ is the head of the body. He's going to nourish the body. So when you are spending time with Jesus, when you're reading his word, when you're getting plugged into community, when you're spending time in prayer, when you are doing these things, you're being nourished by Jesus. And so he's saying it's not about the rules and regulations and legislations by which you will grow. It's about the nourishment that comes through Christ. Everybody tracking with that so far? Let's keep reading verse number 20. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, and so in other words, when you got saved and you died to your old way of life, those rudiments of the world, that the, the, the false doctrines or the old way of life, the religious system, why, everybody say why, he's like, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? He says, if you were saved by grace, why would you go back to a rigid religious system filled with do's and don'ts trying to earn status with God when he is already saying, I love you so much? Why would you go back and try to earn his love? Why would you do that? And he's painting this picture of barren religion. Now, bear with me because millions of people are trapped in this performance-based barren religious system. That is just what Paul is describing here. Notice what he says in verse 21. He says, touch not, taste not, handle not. This is an exhausting way of life. Don't touch this. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't handle this. We're constantly trying to figure it all out. And uh, this is what religion looks like to most people. Danny, can you come up here for a second? It's kind of like, you know, we're just trying to go through life, and Daniel's going to kind of reach his hand in the cookie jar, and it's touch not. Taste not, handle not. Don't do that. Oh, ah, ah. You know, that's what parents say. You know, we don't even use words. We say ah, but everybody knows what that means, right? Ah, ah, ah. This is religion. Yeah. We're trying to go through life. We're trying to take care of our family. We're trying to go to work. We're trying to make sure that we're have, having some money in savings. We're trying to go to soccer practice. We're trying to do, we're trying to do all these things. And, oh, touch not. And, oh, I can't do that. Uh, handle not. And taste not. And, and we're ch- that is an exhausting way of life. The way of Jesus is so much bigger than a list of do's and don'ts. Now, should we live with biblical conviction because God has been so gracious to us? Yes. But we don't do it to earn favor with God. Like he's going to love us more if we can keep a better list. And Paul is saying, this is what so many of you are doing. Touch not, taste not, handle not. And uh, okay, fine, I can't do any of these things. So I'm just going to live a really rigid system. I'm not going to enjoy anything in life. That leads to a doctrine called asceticism, which is what was taking place in Colossae. It was basically self-deprivation. I'm going to deny myself of anything good, of anything pleasurable, because it might be sin. And so I'm just going to live in this little bubble and not do anything. By the way, the Bible says this. That God has given us all things richly to enjoy. I'm thankful that, that God has given us the things in this life so that we can actually enjoy this life. We can actually smile. We don't have to live an ascetic lifestyle where we just uh, touch not, taste not, handle not. Paul is saying that's how many people in a barren religious system live. It's exhausting. Jesus is not exhausting. Jesus is refreshing. Jesus is exhilarating. Uh, Jesus wants to set us free from a burdensome way of life. Now, Notice what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. We are to submit to his authority. But watch this. And his commandments are not grievous. Don't miss that. Jesus, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, love's the motivation. If you love me, keep my commandments. But here's the good news. My commandments, they're not burdensome. It's not an exhausting way of life. It's not grievous. It's, it's light. It's refreshing, 
Let's keep reading. Verse number 22. Which are all to perish with the using. He was talking about how food and drink just go through your body. After the commandments and doctrines of men. Again, the distinction here is what is scriptural, what is the tradition of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship. You can be very religious and it be impressive from an outward glance. Wow, that person, they just seem like they have it all together. They're praying 10 hours a day and they're just, they've never missed a church service in their entire lives. Look at them. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body. That's asceticism. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deprive myself. Asceticism, this false belief, it goes beyond just discipline and into deprivation. I'm gonna neglect the body. I'm not gonna enjoy anything. But then he says this phrase, and this is what I wanna close with. I don't want you to miss it. At the end of verse 23, he says, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. In other words, you can do all of that. It's not going to satisfy you. You can live according to the rules and regulations, but you will not be satisfied. The law does not satisfy. Rules, regulations, here's what Paul is saying. It doesn't work. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I have found in my own spiritual life that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. And so we can just try and try and try, but Paul is saying, pencils down. I believe verse number 23 is one of the strongest indictments against legalism in all of scripture. It's not gonna work. You can try to legislate growth, it's not gonna happen. We've been set free from a burdensome way of life. Now as we close today, I want us to see two verses. Titus chapter two, verse number 11 says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Aren't you thankful for that today? The grace of God has appeared. Now, because you might be thinking, well, what am I supposed to do then today? I'm not supposed to live according to this rigid religious system. It's not about the do's and don'ts. So what is it about? Should I still live a holy lifestyle or what do I do? Well, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Who or what teaches us? The grace of God teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. But it's not our guilt that's motivating us. It's God's grace that's motivating us. Now, I wanna, I wanna close today by giving a few practical takeaways. I wanna give us some handles. Would that be all right today? So we, so we talked about, we talked about uh, the freedom that we have in Christ, these encouraging realities, but, but what does that mean for our faith? What's the so what? What are the practical takeaways? Let me give you four quickly. Number one celebrate what God has done for you. When you think about the blood that was shed, when you think about that you, the fact that you have a clean slate, that Jesus died for you and rose again, that should produce within you some praise, some celebration. We can stop going through life complaining so much and we can start celebrating the goodness of God. And so number one, celebrate uh, what God has done for you. Number two is this, live for the audience of one. Don't be so concerned with what the people around you are thinking and their projections and their standards and their preferences being placed on you. Live for the audience of one. I'm not gonna be a people pleaser, I wanna please Christ. Number three, check your motivation. Why do you do what you do? When you show up to serve, when you go to a small group, why do you do what you do? Is it just to please other people? Is it just out of obligation? I feel guilty, I probably should do this, I need to be a good person. Or is it really because you love Jesus? I just love him. He, he's been so good to me. He saved me. He saved my family, my, my kids. I, it's my reasonable service to give back to him. What's your motivation? And then number four, find rest in Jesus. If you're exhausted today, if you're trying to hold it all together, Jesus offers you a new way to live. 
a new way. In fact, when Jesus came, he knew that people were tired. He knew people were exhausted. He knew that human beings, we try to do too much. In fact, we, we idolize hustle. Look how many hours a week I work and look at how much I do and I'm busy all the time. We, we turn it into an idol. This is what Jesus said. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Pencils down. We can stop working and trying to earn it and we can rest in his goodness. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?